Mike and Jesse talk about sports, the sports cards market, and how to make money with this hobby on sports cards nonsense. They'll let you know who you should be buying and selling and give you the occasional fantasy football advice. Check out Sports Cards Nonsense on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new an improved parlay hub filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Alrighty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. Monday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. John Jastrzemski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I hate to start the week on a downer because I'm riding high right now for reasons I will get into a little bit later on in the show. I am riding high. I want that positive energy that is like running through my veins every which way to kind of come through kicking off the show. I can't allow that to be the case. I just can't. Because the New York Mets had a rotten, vile, and miserable weekend. And let's call it like it is. The Mets should have, not could have, should have gotten swept three straight games by the Cincinnati Reds. I was at City Field on Friday night. That game turned in the bottom half of the first inning. The Mets score run against Gray. They had bases loaded, nobody out. Conforto, who has been an absolute stiff this year, who is stealing money from the Mets this year. I don't care about how good his throw was the other day. Look at the batting average. Look at the power numbers. Look at the production for Conforto. He has stunk in a year where he is trying to get paid at the end of this season. Conforto strikes out, double play, and he ended up getting a lifeless, pathetic, sad offensive performance on Friday, and you got the exact same thing on Sunday against a ham and egger type of pitcher. You get a game where the Mets are completely dead and completely lifeless on offense. And Stroman, the last time he faced off against Cincinnati, was able to bail his team out in a big way. This was not a vintage Marcus Stroman effort, but the Mets don't hit. That has been a common theme that we've talked about It feels like week after week after week, a lineup that has way too much talent to be performing the way that they are performing, they're not scoring runs. McNeil has gotten it going great. 
Alonzo, listen, I can't say anything bad about him. He has produced. He's hit a ton of big home runs. The numbers are basically exactly where you thought they should be. But the run production is not there. You wondered if bringing in Javi Baez would spark him over the weekend. Well, it did on Saturday. Because, my goodness, without Baez's homer and without Dominic Smith and Brandon Drury on Saturday night against a miserable Cincinnati Red bullpen and why they decided to go lefty-lefty with Dom, with Sean Doolittle, who the Mets always seem to hit, was kind of beyond me. The Mets should have got swept this weekend. They have played poorly now for the better part of two, two and a half months. I understand Mets fans not exactly feeling a ton of confidence because the team is not scoring runs. And then think about what happened on Friday with Jacob DeGrom. As I'm sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic, leaving Brooklyn, trying to get to City Field, and anybody who tries to navigate that on a Friday, give yourself a round of applause. It sucks. That's why normally I never deal with the Friday traffic. No way, no how, because it's just rotten and miserable. But you get the notification that DeGrom now is out until September. No bueno. This rotation looks a lot better when Jake DeGrom is in it. He's obviously the best pitcher on the planet. It's not ideal. And it's going to be this looming question surrounding the Mets because if they're going to win in the postseason, he has to be dominant DeGrom. With the additions the Dodgers have made, with the way the Brewers are pitching, Padres have their own issues with Fernando Tatis Jr. But if the Mets want to be at the top of the mountain, and I even throw in the Giants, who, by the way, have been great all year, they need to grom multiple times, big starts, big moments. How can I say with certainty you are getting that? I have no idea. So when you add that with the poor play and the lack of offense... And then, if you want to throw some also into the mix, how about the fact that this whole rocker situation with the first-round pick goes right down the toilet? Because the Met doctors don't feel good about him. Rocker says he's A-OK. You have the contractual dispute. Boris gets in the way. The Mets basically finagle all of their money to be able to go and afford a guy like Rocker. Yeah, they're getting a comp pick next year. That's an awful look. Listen. If the Wilpons were owning the team, we would be destroying the Mets for the way they handled this situation. Destroying. So I don't know. I, I don't know who's right here. Knowing the history with the Met team doctors, I'm not exactly overly confident that they nailed this one. And they had better hope that Rocker doesn't have much of a major league career. Because if he ends up being some top-notch stud for somebody else, you're going to be absolutely livid. Now, I'm not saying with certainty that's going to happen. First-round picks, who the hell knows half the time? Now, the Mets have been pretty good for what it's worth, hitting on first-rounders. But this is a bad look when you set up your financials to go a certain way. So this was a rotten weekend for the Mets. Here's your saving grace. I feel like I say it show after show after show. You know what you're saving grace is? The division stinks. It's not any good. The Phillies are having a hard time with the Pittsburgh Pirates on Friday and Saturday. 
The Atlanta Braves, they go and lose two out of three to the Milwaukee Brewers. Despite all the struggles the Mets have had, am I picking against them in this division? I'm not. So I'm alarmed. I'm concerned. I'm I'm not in love with the brand of baseball that's being played. However, at the end of the day, I still expect them to be in the playoffs. How dangerous they're going to be, though? To me, it's as simplistic as what kind of DeGrom are you getting? Vintage DeGrom? You're A-OK. You're dangerous. You don't have vintage DeGrom. This team's not good enough. They're not good enough. And it's okay to admit that. I know some people are going to take that the wrong way. I really don't care. You're not good enough without that guy being at his very best. Your rotation is a notch short. If that's the case, the lineup, it, it, it needs to give me more. And aside from those games you have coming up with the Nationals, whole lot of challenging games throughout the month of August, including a bunch with the Dodgers and a bunch with the Giants. So... The Mets got the Marlins coming up. Go get fat. Go win a bunch of games here because this was a lousy, lousy weekend of baseball. Now, we'll get to part one of my giddiness and why there is definitely a whole lot of crazy energy coming out of me. How about my guy, my dude, Anthony freaking Rizzo? How about him? Comes to the New York Yankees and helps them win a whole lot of ball games this weekend when the Yankees did not exactly tear the cover off the ball against the Miami Marlins. Friday was a game. Down to the wire. Tight game. Rizzo goes Yahtzee. Saturday, Yankees are leaving basically a small village on the base pass, squandering a whole lot of opportunities to go and score. You get a cheap run off a wild pitch. Who gives you a little bit of insurance? Anthony Rizzo. Bomb. Fast forward to Sunday. This game had all the makings of a loss against Alcantara. And if you looked at the betting line for this game, and we had our dudes Jeff Money and the Great Eagle Eye picks, they were heads up on this particular matchup. I thought the Yankee line was way too low. Truth be told. I never in a million years would have bet the Yankees today. They couldn't touch Alcantara. Montgomery gives up a run in the first inning. The Yankees miss a couple opportunities, and you're thinking, this is going to be one that gets away. This is going to be another opportunity that this team had to go and sweep a series, and they're going to fail to get it done. And they're going to end up losing ground to either Boston or Tampa or to Oakland, and that is going to be your narrative. Well, That changed in the top half of the eighth inning. Now, sometimes bad teams are going to give you a gift. You have to take advantage of those particular gifts. Yes, the ball off the bat of John Carlos Stanton should have been a play that is made. It wasn't. The Marlins throw the baseball around. It sets the stage for Rizzo. It sets the stage for Judge. And both, to their credit, come through with big-time, big-time hits. But how about Rizzo this weekend? The guy hits a couple of home runs. He gets the game-tying hit on Sunday. He plays spectacular defense over first base. How about the play on Saturday? You think Luke Voigt in his wildest dreams is making that play 
Get serious. How about the play in the first inning? When the Marlins maybe could have blown this game wide open, Wade, really nice play. Aaron throw, Rizzo can go and make the play. You think Luke Voigt's making that play? With him being a butcher that he is at first base? No chance. Sometimes it's pretty clear as day that a particular player can change the look and feel of the way you're going. Anthony Rizzo has done exactly that for the Yankees. Compare and contrast Rizzo to Gallo. Thankfully, Gallo got his first Yankee hit. Took him long enough. But Gallo did not have a great weekend. You hope he gets going. He's going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. But Rizzo changes the team to me. He gets on base. You can lead him off if you need to lead him off. You want to hit him down in the order, you can hit him down in the order. He puts the bat on the ball. He gives you competitive at-bats. He is a flat-out winner. Hate to say I told you so. This is a guy I've been screaming about for the Yankees for the past year. So I'm glad that me and Brian Cashman are on the same page. Sunday was a really good win for the Yankees. Britain gets into some trouble in the eighth inning, dances around it. Chapman, fabulous. Chapman, since the All-Star break. I don't want to say he's all the way back to being Chapman because the meltdown can happen at any time. He goes through these sort of walls throughout a year. I know everybody was talking about sticky stuff. Look at Chapman's history with the Yankees. For two or three weeks in any given year, he's got no idea where the ball's going. We saw that in late June into early July. Chapman's back in the ninth inning. He was dominant against the Marlins, and the Yankees go and sweep this series. Little bit of bad news with the Domingo Herman injury, but all in all, a weekend in which the Yankees didn't bludgeon the Marlins. The Marlins could pitch. They took advantage, though. And to me, the biggest reason they won all three of these games, number one, is Anthony Rizzo. Because he was in the middle of everything for this team. So the Yankees now, Baltimore, Seattle, Kansas City. They got to get fat that much more in these particular games. And I know Seattle has a good record. I'm not buying them. I think they're a paper tiger. That's team the Yankees should beat. They're not scaring me for the wild card. To me, the final wild card in the American League is going to come down to Oakland, the Yankees, and the Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto is really starting to cook. And look at their run differential. I'm a big believer in run differential. I talk about it all the time. Look at their run differential. Toronto's better than Tampa's. It's better than Boston's. It's better than the Yankees. That scares me. Toronto is going to be in this thing, especially now that they have added Jose Barrios. But I'm suckered back in on this Yankee season. Now, listen, I'm not suckered back in and making some ridiculous claim that they're going to win the division. They're not. The division is dead. It is over. There's nothing to discuss there. But with Rizzo and Gallo being in the fold, I'm into it again. I got my juju back. The Yankees hopefully have their juju back. And I expect a big week. You got seven games at Yankee Stadium, minimum got to go five and two. I, I don't think that's unreasonable. Go five and two this week. And if you go five and two, odds are you're going to gain ground on somebody. Because remember, even though I think that first wild card still asking a lot. Look at the amount of ground the Yankees have gained on the Red Sox because they had all these games with Tampa. Bad week for Boston, good week for the Yankees. All of a sudden, they made up a ton of games. Only they could have won Thursday and Sunday at Fenway Park, but could have, should have, would have. The bottom line is this. The Yankees are alive and well, 
and have a very meaningful and significant August and hopefully September to contend with. So I'm flying high. I'll tell you the second reason why I'm flying high. That's coming up in a little bit. Let's get to the voicemails in a matter of moments. Big baseball weekend. Franny for sure. All that more. New York, New York. Come right back. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. All right, folks, voicemail time right out of the gate. Remember, 917-382-1151, number to get in touch with the show. Um, And the green rooms have been fabulous, by the way. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. You can expect one a week. When it's a busy week like last week, we threw two in for you. Felt like I was working my ass off, but I mean, come on. This is what I do. This is what we do here on New York, New York. Something happens, we are on it. This ain't some feed-up operation. Baez got traded, fire up the green room. Gallo got traded, fire up the green room. Non-pod nights, don't give a shit. I'm ready to work. That's what we do. That's what Bill expects. That's what I expect. We're ready to work. Now, why am I a little extra giddy today? The Yankees certainly have put me in an excellent mood. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. Rizzo... Winning games, lefty bats, beautiful. I'll tell you what else. Personal best today on the golf course. A 90! 90! At South Shore. Best part about it, my arch nemesis, my buddy who likes to give me a hard time about a whole lot of stuff and will give me a whole lot of grief on the golf course, he couldn't even get in my head. He tried. He failed. 90. And a 41 on the back. Couldn't have played better. Now, the problem is I'll probably go out the next day and shoot 105, but that's golf in a nutshell. So, Yankees on fire. Best golf round of my life. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Let's see if you guys are feeling it. Voicemail time. Saruti, what am I, baby? Hey, John. It's Jake from Charlotte. I hate this fucking Mets team. They don't fucking hit ever. You know, you hit a walk-off fucking hit on fucking... Saturday night and come back the next day just fucking flat as fuck. You know, whatever. They're not going to sign their fucking first round draft pick either. That's a fucking waste. I just, I don't know why I cheer for this fucking team anymore. They're garbage. Their offense is fucking putrid. Whatever, man. I, you, I, so you know, you'd be a favor. Give me something positive about the fucking mess right now. I guarantee you can't. Oh, you're going to say they're in first fucking place? Who fucking cares? They're going to lose in a couple weeks anyways. Be fucking third place by then. Whatever, man. I'm just sick and tired of this fucking team. All right. See ya. Bye. Well, Jake nailed exactly where I was going with the positivity. You're a first place team. You can mock me until the cows come home. You're a first place team in the National League East. Are the Mets very fortunate to be in the division that they're in? 1,000%. Think about this for a minute. 
I have been doing nonstop belly aching about the Yankees, and rightfully so. I don't apologize for it because for three and a half, four months, the Yankees were miserable and were not a fun watch. Let this marinate, though. All this belly aching I've been doing about the Yankees, they have a better record than the Mets. That blows my mind. Yankees have a better record than the Mets. The positivity is that I got to figure sooner or later, Jake, the Mets are going to score some runs. Baez will help. I can't count on Conforto at this point. I'm sorry. Conforto is at the point where he should not be playing every day. He hasn't earned it. I don't care what his contractual situation is at the end of the year. I got to win a division. You're not hitting. You're not playing. Case closed. But positivity for the Mets, you're in first place. We'll see how long I can keep rolling with that. Who's next? Hey, John. This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. Uh, you know, the, the Mets got a huge win on Saturday with contributions from Dom Smith, Brandon Drury, Kevin Pillar. And then they score one run t- t- uh, today, and it's back to square one. And, and you know, Conforto really needs to go to the bench. But we desperately need uh, hits and, and runs right now. And where is J.D. Davis? Uh, he, he, uh, he needs to play. I mean, but Baez can help out with range, but there's no reason to keep his batter out of the lineup anymore. Now, as far as the draft goes with uh, uh, Kumar Rocker, the Mets did the right thing here. If he's not healthy and you sign him and he has Tommy John surgery and you lose him for the year and a half, it's not worth the risk. They should have shown the medical records, you know, showing he, he was good to go. So I, I'd rather be safe than sorry here. Here's the biggest problem, though, Stuart. The way they set up their entire draft based upon what they were going to pay Rocker. That is my issue for the way the Mets handled this situation. That's fine that you don't believe in the player and the medical records or whatever, and you think there's, you know, something fishy going on with the player. Do your homework beforehand, number one, and don't set up your whole draft saying, hey, we're paying him a certain amount. Other guys are going to have to get less because we're going above and beyond. Can't do that. Doesn't work that way. That's the issue. You're right about flushing momentum right down the toilet, too. It just goes to show you, momentum in baseball, forget about as good as the next day's starting pitcher. You need things to go your way. The Mets were coming off one of their best wins of the year. Down at the last strike, Smith with the base hit to tie it. Drury wins it. Diaz works out of an amazing 10th inning jam. They have a major edge in the pitching. They score one run. And Stroman is so-so. They took that momentum and threw it right down the toilet. You're searching for positives. You're in first place. I know I'm going to keep saying that. I know it's going to annoy a lot of Mets fans, but I'm going to keep saying it. You're in first place. You should be thanking your lucky stars you're in the National League East. Who's up next? JJ, my dude, what is going on, brother? Hector Washington Heights here, man. Sunday evening here, and I'm just trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this team? Why shouldn't I think it's the same old mess? All this bullshit about new ownership and all this crap, and it's to me, it's been the same shit this week. And just, I'll be honest, man, I've been very optimistic about this team. I called you a couple of weeks back asking you what did this team need to do for everybody to get off their back and saying that they were going to fall apart and all this other fucking nonsense. And you know what? 
I was wrong. It seems like I was wrong and everybody was right. Yeah, they're in first place, which is what everybody wanted to say, including myself. I've been saying, well, we're in first place. We're doing well. We're beating the teams that, that everybody says are a challenge. But come on, man. This week first, we can see out of five, come to the Braves, coming off that Pirate series before, not too far before that. Then to come out here and lose two or three after to the Reds. The whole trade deadline, I'm not too high on the buyer's move. I feel like it's a move that you just did because of media hype and pressure from that side. Not what they really wanted to do. Not really what the team needed. You know, what, to make Lindor happy? I don't give a shit about making Lindor happy. He needs to make me happy, this fucking guy, man. He needs to fucking get healthy and start playing like the money that they fucking pay him. No matter who his fucking teammate is. Do your fucking job. Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with this fucking team, buddy. Well, talk me off the fucking ledge if you can. And I doubt that you can, because I'm pretty sure you may agree with me on some of these things. Listen, Diggy, I told you before, I'm not a fan of Sandy, and I can't wait till he's fucking gone, man. Oh, thanks, JJ. Later. I always love the unfiltered passion from one of my favorites, the great Hector in Washington Heights. And, you know, the last time I saw Hector, in person, he was giddy after Alonzo hit a home run against Chapman. The Mets had beaten the Yankees. He had a right to be giddy. Now, Hector went off the deep end a couple weeks ago after that Diaz meltdown against the Pirates. I don't think this was nearly as epic as that particular Spotify green room meltdown, which was an all-timer. Here's what I will tell you, Hector. I was okay with the Baez move. I didn't love it. I thought Bryant fit this team a lot better. But Baez is a fine move for the Mets. He gives them pop. He's a good glove. He's versatile. You got to play him at second. You could do that. You're going to have him at short until Lindor comes back. That's fine. You're going to have to live with the strikeouts. He's going to chase a whole lot of pitches, and he's not going to walk a lot. He's a flawed star. That's the best way I'd look at Javi Baez. You know, it's funny. Baez and Gallo, you got a lot of positives with each individual player. You got plenty of negatives still. You're going to have to accept that. But it's not like the Mets sat on their hands and said, we're doing nothing. Now, some of you are going to say, well, they didn't go the extra mile for Barrios. Well, Barrios cost Toronto an arm and a leg. That's what it would have cost you. Mets were not willing to do that. Mets need to start hitting. And Hector nailed something that's very important. You know, you think about this past week. The Mets could have conceivably lost every single game that they played. Because when they lost, the games weren't really that close. When they won, I mean, they're pulling games out of the fire. Conforto throwing a runner out at the plate. Saturday being down to your last strike. Like, a whole lot of games. Very, very dicey from a Mets standpoint. They got to play better. I'm not going to fight anybody on that. If the narrative after this weekend is the Mets are not playing good enough ball, I'm not going to fight you on it. It's just a lot better to be where they're at as opposed to, you know, being a team that maybe is playing better, but is chasing. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. This is Dan from Richfield. I got to say, I completely wrote the Yankees off a week ago after that Boston series. And the trade deadline, the team just feels so different than it did before the deadline. It seems like Rizzo is such a difference maker. And, you know, if Boston uh, wins today, then we'll ride back uh, of the division. Obviously, it's still a big uphill climb. I'm not going to hold my breath. But at the same time, I'm definitely glad that we made these deadline acquisitions and that we're going for it. Um, 
there's one last thing with Boyd. You know, you were talking about DFA, and I just can't see how you do that. You know, if they were willing to do that, they would have just, uh, you know, traded him for whatever they could get for him at the deadline. Um, I don't know how he's going to be used this year, but he just led the league at homers. He can't DFA that guy. All right, that's it. Thanks a lot. I feel the exact same way you do when it comes to Anthony Rizzo and the impact he's made on this team. Certain guys have that sort of feel. They bring that sort of presence. It's been instantaneous with Rizzo. And that's why I was more giddy about the Rizzo move than I was the Gallo move. Because of those little things that we like to talk about. Because of those intangibles. Rizzo, his bat, his on base, and his glove were instrumental in all three of the Yankee wins this weekend. I can't wait to see what kind of hand he's going to get Monday at Yankee Stadium. I mean, they're going to go crazy when he comes up to the plate. And I'll be at the stadium on Tuesday, and I'll be at the stadium on Friday. I'll be there super early, by the way, getting my Garrett Cole Top Gun bobblehead. So I'm going to be there way too early because there's got to be traffic and whatnot. But I got an energy about going to a Yankee game again. I know they have their flaws. I'm not saying that they're perfect. I I don't regret things that I said earlier in the year because they were true and they were justified. Have they sucked back in a whole lot of people? 1,000%. Now, I think you're probably going to be right on your point when it comes to Luke Voigt and not DFAing him. But I'm not giving him regular burn on this team. Where? First base, that ship is sailed. Rizzo's playing first against lefties, righties, does not matter. You're going to play Stan in the outfield a couple days a week. Maybe there's an opportunity for him to DH. Here's the problem with that. When everybody is back, meaning Gio, who missed basically this whole weekend, LeMayu, who basically, aside from a couple of pinch hit spots, missed the whole weekend, where's Voight playing? Because guess what? I'd rather Ruggio Dor play over Luke Voigt. Who's going to fight me on that? If I got a choice against a right-handed pitcher, Ruggie Odor or Luke Voigt, Ruggie's playing. He can give me more elements that can help me go and win a ball game. Voigt is another all or nothing guy. I don't need that. So they're going to tell you, oh, Voigt needs more time at AAA. I'm not putting him on the roster until September or somebody goes down with an injury. Then I can reassess and reevaluate. Two to go. What do we got? What's up, JJ? It's Dan from New York. I want to talk about the game, the Yankee game that just happened today. So Rizzo, obviously, with a huge RBI single to tie the game, and then Judd with the, with the RBI single to, to put them ahead. But the inning should have been over because Stan grounded into what should have been an inning-ending double play. This guy is terrible, JJ. Get him out of the lineup. Get him off the team. I'm done with Giancarlo Stan. The guy stinks. He is stealing money from the Yankees. It'll go down. He'll go down as one of the worst trades the team has ever made. Get this guy off the team. Letter, JJ. Yeah, I understand that frustration. It's not happening, now. Stanton, when he's going bad, he's embarrassing. And, you know, I predicted on the Spotify groomer that he was going to homer this weekend. I was also close because he had a homer. They looked at it. They ended up overturning it. And you're not wrong. Before the dramatics of Rizzo and Judge, the Marlins were that close to turning a double play. They're the Marlins. Bad teams find ways to lose. They boot a ball. The Yankees take advantage. Rizzo and Judge do their thing. Stan's going to play, though. Unless there's an injury, 
he's going to play. But with the Yankees adding this influx of talent, you can run him out in the outfield a couple of days a week. If he gets hurt, he gets hurt. And I'm not saying you got to play Stanton seven days a week in the outfield. He could be out there two or three days a week. And if something happens, tough shit. That's the way I look at it. Last but not least, what do we got? JJ, Phil from Cuse. Uh, wanted to just give you a call. Uh, you said it the other day. Trade for Rizzo and Gallo really does have kind of like an opening day feel to the Yanks. And love that. I also think bringing Rizzo in is going to be huge for Gallo. He's going to be able to just kind of fly under the radar a little bit. We're not really going to expect much from Gallo as long as he kind of pops a couple homers. But Rizzo, we can kind of lean on to be that guy, which I just think will help Gallo a ton. Um, but also wanted to bring up football quick. Wanted to see if you know, if you have like a, a schedule of like kind of when you're going to be posting out shows once football season starts to come around. Um, and then also an over for you, which I think is the lock of the century. Cues football over three and a half. Lock it in. They open up with Ohio, Rutgers, Albany, Liberty. And then they still get like Pitt and Louisville and Wake Forest down the road. So I think three and a half, I, I think over that is a lock. Um, yeah, so just want to get your thoughts. All the love. Phil, God bless on Syracuse over. Been there, done that. I got burned either, what was it? Not last year because it was a COVID year. Um, I want to say it was the 2019 season. I took Syracuse as an over, and I was like, this is one of the dumbest bets I've made in a long, long time. So I am not going down that well again. If you are brave and you are willing to do so, Phil, I'll give you all the credit in the world if that ends up being a winner. But I'm not, I'm not going there. But we will have... Our season totals for college, season totals for the NFL, all that stuff covered over the next month. And you bring up a very fair question about what our schedule is going to look like come football season. Now, Sundays, I'm watching the one and the four o'clock games. That's that's always going to happen. My thought is, after the four o'clock games are done, we'll fire up the bad boy. We'll get it out for you. Now, if the Jets or the Giants are playing Sunday night, obviously we've got to make adjustments, but we'll take care of that. It'll be up by 11, 12 o'clock, I would say. Tuesday and Thursday, we'll be rocking and rolling. So we'll probably keep the same schedule. We're working on doing something maybe as a little pregame lead-in to the games. Stay tuned for that. Nothing is official until it's official, but... We will be working. And I guarantee this. The Jets and the Giants play, we're on. So if our schedule is Sunday, Wednesday, I say Tuesday night, but really it's Wednesday because baseball, the games go until the wee hours basically every single night. So I get it. The pod's not up until Wednesday. Wednesday and then Friday morning. That schedule is going to stay the same, but if there are games, we'll have content whether it's a pod or a green room, probably green room, because I like doing them. They're easy, and we could post it right away. And you guys call. So we got you covered. And if it means I'm doing more than three shows a week, that ain't going to be a problem. You don't got to worry about that. That ain't going to be an issue for me. I can't wait for football season. Anybody see Tua? Oh, baby! Let me tell you something. Nothing will make me happier Forget about breaking 90. If Tua can ram it up the haters' asses, oh, that would be just so fabulous because the amount of hate that this guy has gotten after playing nine or 10 games in the NFL is insulting to me. I'm taking it personally. 
I hope he's taking it personally because he's a nice guy. I'd be saving every little bit of audio, video, this, that, and I'd be like, well, I'm going to tell you guys, and I'm going to jam this so far right down your throat and up your rear end that you're not going to know what hit you. Oh, I saw that bomb down the field to Abba Wilson. I'm like, I hope Simmons is experiencing this week one. I'll tell you, Simmons has been very quiet. Very, very quiet this weekend. Me and Jacko were giddy. True Yankee Anthony Rizzo. Donnie Mattingly homage shirts. A lot of crickets from Bill in Los Angeles, who thought I was a little delirious, by the way, after Thursday or Friday. I wonder what Billy Boy is going to think about this one. Could you imagine the Red Sox have another bad week here? Oh, boy. I almost want the Yankees to play the Red Sox at this point because all the pressure in the world is on the Red Sox. The Yankees lose, whatever. I've seen them lose 10 zillion games to Boston this year anyway. We got ourselves a baseball season, folks. We do. Before we hit the great Franny Fischilla, Sarudi passed this along my way, and I saw this, and I was intrigued. Now, I don't know why Indiana would give him up because I think he's a fabulous player. Interest in Miles Turner, who, if you know anything about the New York area, whole lot of ties to New York City. Skilled guy, guy who can go and get your buckets. Not the guard necessarily that I'm looking for, but depending on the package, I'm a-okay with the Knicks making a play for Miles Turner, but I just got to wonder what you're going to have to give up to go and get him. And a whole lot of the smoke that is out there is basically saying, yeah, the Knicks are interested, but it doesn't necessarily mean that Indiana is going to be willing to part ways. But that's a guy I'm in on because even though he's gotten hurt, he's performed, he's got that sort of swagger that I want. He's got New York City running through his veins. Yeah, I'm intrigued by Miles Turner with the right package. So that is something to watch as this offseason rolls along. Uh, the Knicks are in on, they want everybody. The Mellow stuff makes no sense. And I love Mellow. Nobody loves Mellow more than me. Mellow should go to the Lakers, okay? What is the point of Carmelo Anthony coming in the Knicks? What's the point? So he can be a sixth or a seventh man somewhere else? Yeah, do that on a winning team. Like a team that can win a championship. The Knicks need younger veterans. I- I'm not in on Melo coming back here. Let him go to the Lakers. Freddie Fischella, one of the best. Tie a nice bow on the draft. All that good stuff. That's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, 
gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So now that the NBA draft is come and gone, I figure let's welcome in a guy who knows these players as well as anybody because he does the college games. He's all in on the international market. The great Franny Fischilla over at ESPN. What's up, Fran? How you doing, man? Everything's good, John. Everything's good. Uh, draft's over. I'm in the middle of Olympic coverage uh, with NBC and uh yeah, all good. All good. Should be uh should should be fun conversation with some of these guys who are gonna be heading into the into the five boroughs. Well, listen, we're fired up because you went through this draft process and you see all these guys. Like I'm a college hoops junkie, loved Cade Cunningham, loved yep. Jalen Suggs. Like there were just so many players that it was just very easy to fall in love with. Yep. Are you buying, are you believing the hype that we're hearing about this draft class? Is it justified? Uh, my, my feeling is there's never a bad draft class. I mean, the bad draft class in 2013, when Anthony Bennett went in number one, had some Greek kid that went like 15th, you know, Giannis he turned out. All right, friend, just saying, yeah, I think he yeah. turned out. Okay. But this was a good class. And in part, John, because, uh, we knew about Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Green, three, four years ago, because they all represented the uh, United States in like a world championship competition. So, for example, all of these kids, as I recall, at least five of them were on the 2019 under 19 world championship team. And th- these are the, these are the United States kids that beat the best teams in the world. So we've known about this class coming up for about three or four years. And this happens to be uh, 2021. The year they most of them put their name in, and so yeah, I think it's going it's going to be a really solid class. The guys at the top of the draft that, that I mentioned, plus Kaminga, should all be very good college player, uh, NBA players. Who is your favorite player at the top of the draft board? Is it Cunningham? Well, I love Cade. I got a chance to see him a lot because I cover the Big Twelve. Uh, I have an older son who works with the Orlando Magic, so right now my favorite player is Jalen Suggs. Well, and I think my producer Saruti is still <laughs> yeah. dancing over the weekend yeah. because Jalen Suggs ended up falling to the Magic franchise. Yeah. Was that uh, a shock for you that Jalen Suggs didn't end up in Toronto and didn't end up in one of those top three or four spots? Not really, because what happens is you know you're talking to, most of the time the guys that work in front offices. They knew they do know what they're doing. And so, you know, like we could have quibbled about who could have gone uh, one through six, really. But I think Cade was safe at number one because the way his game translates, he does a little bit of everything, you know, really well. But once you get past Cade and, and the idea that, hey, he's a safe number one pick, two, three, four, five, six, really, you could have put him in a hat, in my opinion. So a lot of us thought Jalen Suggs could go two or three. He went five to the Magic, and they they lucked out in the sense that we already know who he is. We watched him on TV. We see some of his great attributes. But we don't know as much about Jalen Green or Jonathan Kaminga, you know, who went seven to the Warriors. So I trust that the NBA teams know a little bit more than the mock draft guys. 
totally get that. And, you know, you think about guys who improve draft stock and status as the NCAA tournament goes on. And I know, friend, you don't want to put too much in that. But when I'm sitting there watching these games in the middle of March, there are guys who like wow you. Evan Mobley was one of those guys. I watched him at USC. And, you know, I watch a little Pac-12 here and there. But the way he played in that tournament, I'm like, this guy's going to be a stud in the NBA. You think he did himself, you know, a big favor by beasting those couple weeks? Well, I, I think he did, but you got to remember, John, like teams knew how the teams had already had a good. Oh, they're watching. They're watching the yeah. film. But like the, the tournament in general, like you think about it, friend, last year we didn't have it because right. of COVID. Yeah. And how many guys, at least one or two, really kind of put their name out there yeah. and kind of take their their stock and their status, they yeah. take it to another level because of that showcase. Well, it never hurts that they do that in the NCAA tournament. It really never hurts. But you can also get tricked by somebody's great performances in the NCAA tournament. And you think, wow, you know, if this kid did it on this stage, he could be a great player. You know, it doesn't always happen like that, but it doesn't hurt when a guy like, let's, for example, not only, not only Mobley, but how about Jalen Suggs hitting that shot, you know, against, uh, uh, you know, who was it against UCLA? Uh, so yeah, when you do well in the tournament, I think the fans notice, but it wouldn't have changed for me, I don't think, or even NBA teams, like how good Evan Mobley could be. I thought where you were going with it was the same kind of thought process I had, which is this kid's seven feet tall. Why can't he be the number one pick in the draft? And and that's kind of the interesting thing about this draft. He, Jalen Green, Suggs, Kate Cunningham, we'll look back four or five years from now and go, man, how come he wasn't number one? Because that's how close I thought it was between the first five or six picks. There are a whole lot of Nick fans listening to this podcast wondering about Quentin Grimes. And I don't know, Franny, maybe I'm still getting a little PTSD from the defense that Houston played against my beloved alma mater, Syracuse, in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, Tibbs is looking for 3 and D guys. To me, Quentin Grimes fits that bill. What can you tell the audience about what the Nick fans are getting? He's, I'll tell you, it's a great story because he started his career at Kansas and uh, he was a high school All-American. We all thought he'd be a one-and-done guy. And it didn't happen that way. He did not have a great freshman year. A little frustrated, so he went close to home. And uh, Houston had the same type of coach in Kelvin Sampson that, that Bill Self was, which was a, a guy that coached toughness. Uh, Quentin went home, continued to embrace that kind of coaching, and really had a great couple years. And uh, he's one of those guys, John, he's not – I don't think he's going to be an NBA star, but he fits perfectly in with what Tibbs is looking for. He'll defend. He plays hard, and then uh, he'll make enough jump shots that I think that uh, Tibbs will have a lot of confidence in him. He's come through some adversity as a, as a player, and he's come out on the other end of it, and I think he's going to be better for it as he heads to the Knicks. And I think it's fair to say McBride, if he ends up sticking in the NBA, another guy kind of fits that Tom Thibodeau mold with the way he gets after it, huh? Yeah, without a question. You know, he's a kid that I watched play from the day he got to Morgantown because I, I do their games, and... Uh, I spent eight years coaching in Ohio. So Cincinnati Moeller High School, most of us know it for football. They have a great football tradition. This kid was a quarterback in high school, but also a great point guard. Uh, He had a stress fracture in his leg as a junior from a football injury. Wasn't supposed to come back the entire year. First game back was the semifinals of of the Ohio State Championship. Played well in that game, helped his team win the championship, and the rest is history. Great toughness. A uh, great shooter, a good athlete for the NBA, and he loves to play defense also. So another good fit. Brooklyn Nets are a team trying to win a championship. So when you're picking in the later 
portion of the first round, you take a one or two things. All right, can this guy be a contributor for me off the bench? Or is he going to be somebody that I may be shipping off for a veteran in January or February? Cam Thomas got a ton of buckets at LSU. Ton of buckets. Do you see him, Fran, as a guy that could go and anchor a second unit, basically, when a Duran or a Kyrie Irving or a James Horton is not in the lineup? Or do you think Brooklyn down the road says, all right, you know, let's get him to a team where he can get a lot more opportunities and a lot more burn, and then he can kind of showcase that scoring ability? Do you think he's got the sort of makeup to handle coming off an NBA bench? Well, I think he went to the right place because uh, he's going to, first of all, he's got raw ability to score. Took some shots this year that uh, Steve Nash probably won't uh and, you know, advise, let's just say, but that's why he scored so many points. He can go get, he can go get buckets because he knows how to create his own. But the best thing about a guy like Cam Thomas going to a team like the Knicks, excuse me, the Nets is he's going to be surrounded by guys that are pro, you know, they're pros, not only on the court, but off the court. He's going to learn from KD. He's going to learn from James Harden. He'll learn from Joe Harris. So I think it's a perfect spot. I would anticipate that he's going to get enough opportunity as a rookie because the three got the big three um, are injured a lot. Let's face it. There's a chance that these guys, if they play over 70 games next year, all three of them, it's, it's not high. That means he's going to get opportunities when he does get on the court to be around a Durant or a, or a Kyrie Irving while they're playing as well. So it's going to help him. I think it's a great spot for him to grow up as an NBA player. I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago because we had Buddy Beheim on the podcast. And what a year he had for the Syracuse Orange. And, you know, the way his game evolved, the way he kind of bursted onto the scene in the NCAA tournament. Like, when he was a freshman at Syracuse, the idea of Buddy Beheim NBA player, I would have been like, no chance. Right. He doesn't have the athleticism, doesn't have this, doesn't have that. After watching him last year, friend, and seeing yeah. the way the game has evolved with shooting, where if you could shoot the ball at a high level, you got yeah. a chance to play. Am I crazy to now put Buddy Beheim, NBA player, in the same sentence maybe come next year? Probably not. Not probably not. But I, I knew you'd get a Syracuse question in there, John. Uh, of course. You know, yeah. that's what we do. I'm one of the cast of thousands, friend. Yeah, I had no, it. No, you know, it's great. my obligation. <laughs> It's really great. It's, it's I I did I've done some games of buddies going back to uh, his freshman and sophomore year, and no, it's terrific for him. He's made himself into a player. I can distinctly remember uh, a few years ago uh, being up in Syracuse when Buddy was home from prep school, and uh, Eric Devendorf was spending time with him in the gym on their own. And uh, Eric's been a great mentor of his. And Buddy is 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 the quintessential gym rat. And when you look at a guy 6'6", who can really shoot the ball and then play at the level he's playing in the ACC, and then you see Corey Kispert going in the first round on draft night or Joe Harris, you know, from the Nets having a career, you know, other guys that can make shots. I think it, I think he's going to have a chance. It's a big year for him, obviously. And uh, now that the NIL is in place, the name, image, and likeness, he's making some bucks up there, uh, you know, legally, I might add. Uh <laughs> So it's, I, I think he's going to get his chance. No question about it. Ultimate gym rat, and I'm excited for him. About time with the NIL stuff, right, Fran? I mean, about time that these yeah. kids are able to make some money off their name, for goodness sakes. Probably. I, there's no question, uh, John. You know, the problem is we're in, the, uh, we're in the pioneering stages of it. Let's see how it all fits. It's definitely something that was a long time in coming. Now, with one-time transfers, with the NIL in place, um, you know, where everybody can, well, anybody can transfer one time and go anywhere and be eligible right away. 
it's going to be uncharted waters for college basketball. We're going to have to see how this all shakes out. Chances are a lot of the doom and gloomers were probably were overreacting. But at the same time, when we just seen this week that uh, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12 and you have the transfer situation, et cetera, uh, it's a very precarious time for college hoops. From a player standpoint, yeah, it's great. They can make some money. Probably not everybody's going to benefit from it, but it's definitely uh, worthwhile. You know, for example, Buddy Buddy Bayham would be the perfect kid. He could run a camp, get some endorsements in the Syracuse area, and, uh, you know, he, he won't be alone. There'll be a lot of young people that can benefit from it, and that part is probably good. In all your years of evaluating the draft, can you think of a guy who, like, you were 1,000% sold on? Oh, and, man. you know, like, he was your guy. You kind of, like, really hyped them up over the process, and you yeah. feel, like, so validated by seeing their career play out. And on the flip side, friend, who's the guy that you were kind of all over and just yeah. monumentally flopped on his face? Like, I mean, you do this stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like I would get competitive. You know, like, you're throwing guys out there. I like this guy. I like that right. guy. And it works out. It doesn't work out. Are there a couple that come to mind? Well, you know, on the on the on the first part of the question, the guys that I thought uh, would make it, you know, I've been I've been lucky, John, to see. Um, you know, let's take the Big Twelve for example. I saw Buddy Hield as a freshman, you know, and of course my younger son played with them, but that, you know, I got a chance to see him a lot. Um, but Buddy Hield, I saw Javon Carter, who who made the league out of nowhere from West Virginia. Uh, I was a big Jalen Brunson fan. Uh, you know, from, from Villanova last year it was Sadiq Bay. There's probably a lot that I could go back and think of um, that have made it simply because I get a chance to see them so early in their careers and see what the, see what, like what the uh, Chris Middleton, you know, from the, from the world champion bucks saw him when Texas A&M was in the big 12. So a lot of times it's the guys that I see really early in their career and then just follow them from there. And I've made a ton of mistakes in thinking guys that were going to be pretty good. I would say the biggest one that came to mind was probably Mario Hazonia, you know, who ended up with the, with the Knicks. Uh, you know, when he was in uh, Europe, uh, I thought he might be, I honestly said this, he might be the guy that could, the only guy that I can remember that could win the NBA dunk contests and the NBA three-point contest. As it turned out, he won neither. And this coming year, he'll be back in Europe playing. So uh, happens all the time. But uh, it's the fun part about, you know, training your eyes over 40 years. Fran, bad predictions is my specialty. So you, yes. got, you got nothing <laughs> to worry about there. If there's going to be a king of it, I'll, I'll gladly take my name, put it on that label. Now you are on this crazy schedule with the Olympics going on. Yeah. So we obviously appreciate a couple of minutes. They got off to such a rocky start, Team USA, throughout this process. They've obviously played a lot better the last few games do you get the sense they figured it out they have uh they have figured out day by day the difference between nba and fiba uh the difference between those two games john is like the difference between spanish and portuguese they sound alike but they're two different languages so they're getting better at it even in the win over czech republic you know they were only up five midway through the third quarter ended up winning by 30 plus um, as we as we're talking this morning, uh, the draw has come out and they've got a brutal draw. Their first game in the quarterfinals is Spain. And then it gets it gets and then they have Australia to me, the other co-favorite in the semis. Their easiest game in the road to a gold medal will be in the in the finals. So they've got they it's going to be interesting. They have the most talent in this tournament with the eight teams left. But um, you have to just remember and we all know this from sports. 
Um, they're trying to become a team in, within two or three weeks. Australia, France, particularly, and Spain have guys that have been together literally five to 10 years. So they have to overcome culture and continuity with their talent and uh, the, you know, trying to come together. Not going to be easy. If, if they win the gold, it'll be a great accomplishment because in a COVID uh, year, uh, guys like KD, guys like Dame Lillard, I mean, these guys, some of them have played 100 games in 10 months. So the fact that they wanted to play, I, I give them all the credit in the world. I'm not going to be a doom and gloomer if they lose. We'll put together a bomb squad for 24 in Paris because uh, everybody wants to go go play in Paris, especially with fans back. But uh, they've got their road cut out for them. But they, are, they have the most talent. There's no question. Not going to be easy to next week. Isn't it amazing, Fran, thinking about the way the international basketball market has just closed the gap with the United States? It's yeah. not a knock on the United States. 92 in the dream team. They're like, they're getting these guys autographs for goodness sakes. Yeah. Now you got all these international powerhouses. You mentioned it, the continuity and the fact that they're playing yeah. together. They, they're not like shaking in their boots when they see the United States anymore. Those days are over. Yeah, very true. And uh, not only the dream team, John, which time and memorial, like Paul Gasol, Dirk Nowitzki, others just said, hey, I fell in love with basketball in 1992 when I watched the dream team. The international kids were saying this, but I see. I blame him. I blame. Uh, I blame UB Brown. I blame Chuck Daly. I bring. I blame Dr. Jack uh, for what's going on right now. Because 50 years ago, when they when they were still in their heyday coaching, they went around the world and and taught the game to uh, to international coaches, particularly in Europe. And so those coaches uh, learned the game from the American coaches. Great coaches too. We all learned from them. And uh, in, in conjunction with the dream team uh, and the players, the coaches got good at this. And now we see it every night in the NBA. 25% of the league is born outside the United States. So I'm not only going to blame the dream team, I'm going to blame UB Brown the next time I see him. I like the sound of that. Fran, thanks so much for doing this, man. Uh, grew up watching you coach. I love you doing the games. And you, I miss the old Big East, bud. I do, yeah. man. I mean, yeah. Do you miss the old Big East? I mean, I miss those Syracuse St. John's, those, those Syracuse Georgetown games in December. They're a lot better in February, March. Just saying. It's a great, it's, there's no, there'll be nothing like it. That's why as we all watch the changing landscape, John, of college sports, particularly college basketball, we can't forget the memories of the, you know, the great Big East that uh, 30 for 30, Requiem for the Big East, it's always in our mind. You can always kind of go watch it and realize like how great basketball was for that period of time. And they still have a good league. But uh, those of us who were a part of it, me as an assistant at Providence and later the head coach at uh, St. John's have some great memories. And uh, that's great basketball. And uh, yeah, there's no, nothing like it. Take care, friend. Appreciate a couple minutes. All the best, John. So everybody's wondering when we're really going to ramp it up with the football stuff, I can promise you this. Now that the draft is over, yes, we have all the baseball, and we're going to be full swing Yankees-Mets, very meaningful games coming up in August and into September, but we're going to really start to set the stage for this football season. Expectations for the Giants in a wide-open NFC East. Jets, first-year coach, first-year quarterback, Loaded division. That's the biggest problem Robert Sala and company are going to run into this year. The fact that they're in the wrong division with Buffalo, Miami, and New England all significantly better than the Jets. Like, the Jets could be vastly improved 
win six, seven games, and they're still going to finish dead last in this division unless somebody tanks. How about Wentz, by the way? How about Wentz? I mean, listen, there are certain guys that it just seems off. Wentz is one of those guys. You thought going with Frank Reich, that team, they, they have Super Bowl expectations, but they don't have the right quarterback. Because I got serious doubts about Carson Wentz ever getting back to the form that he was at in 2017. Colts otherwise are loaded. Quarterback is a question. He's a problem. But we're going to start doing a lot more football in the days ahead. Before we say goodbye, the man, the myth, the Jeff Money. What's up, Money? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for Monday the 2nd. We had another nice uh, winning week again. So let's see if we can keep it rolling the new week. I'm going to go one play with the New York Mets. Minus the 140 over the Marlins. It'd be McGill versus Lozado. McGill is 1-0 and with a .52 ERA his last three outings. Lozado is 1-2 and with a 3.60 ERA his last three outings. So that's going to be my play. We're going to take the Mets. Minus the 140. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Money, I'm right there with you with the Mets. This should be a get-right series for them. The Marlins are a terrible, terrible baseball team, and McGill has thrown the ball really well. Now, watch the Mets go and score three or four runs. It's a low line, but I'll gladly take the discount. I don't think the books have adjusted in a lot of these McGill lines. I'll roll with the Mets tomorrow. I think they get back to winning ways, and the Marlins will fall at 18 games under 500. We are back late Tuesday, early Wednesday, hopefully after a couple more Yankee wins. I doubt I'll be throwing a sub-90 on the scorecard. I mean, listen, with golf, it's probably nowhere to go but down. But, hey, that's the way it goes. I'm in a great mood. Fellas, fabulous job. Enjoy your Monday, everybody. JJ, signing off.